0: Okay, so uh, welcome everyone uh, to Drisha, this is uh, Elul Zman, uh, we're so happy to be learning with you again and so happy to have uh, Rabbi uh, Jonathan Ziering with us, uh, this class is uh, Teshuva, Tefillah, and Tzedaka in the age of social media, again with Rabbi uh, Jonathan Ziering. Um, First, uh, before we start, uh, I just want to make sure uh, that um, everyone knows that they can uh, ask questions during class uh, as they come up, Uh, just unmute yourself or uh, write questions uh, here in the uh, Zoom chat box uh, if you're here with us, or you can ask uh, questions by commenting um, as a comment uh, on Facebook if you're watching us live there, we welcome you as well. Uh this class will be a three part exploration of how the three uh, classical processes of redemption spoken of during the high holiday season. Teshuvah, tefila, and tzedakah have been altered or for better and worse by the prevalence of social media uh, this week is I am sorry hits end will focus on impersonal apologies. Uh, Rabbi Jonathan Ziering is a Ram and the Educational Coordinator, coordinator at Yeshiva Migdal HaTorah. Rabbi Ziering received semicha from the Rabbi Isaac Elchanan Theological Seminary at Yeshiva University. He also received an MA in Jewish Philosophy from Bernard Revel Graduate School and a BA from the Honors Program at the Yeshiva College of Yeshiva University. Rabbi Ziring studied at Yeshiva Taretsion and continued his learning there as a member of the Kolel Gavoah. He, he was also a fellow at the Tikva Fund and Center for Modern Torah Leadership, Summer Beit Midrash. Rabbi Ziring has previously served as Gan Rosh Kolel of the Yeshiva University, Torah Mitzion Beit Midrash, Zichron Dov, and as the rabbinic assistant of Bait in Toronto. He has taught in many contexts in the U.S., in Canada, and in Israel, focusing particularly on the halachic process. So we are so lucky to have him uh, here with us. And with that, I'll um, hand it to you, uh, Jonathan. Okay,
1: thank you, Evie. Um, well, it's great to be back. Um, I think it's my first time teaching during the, the Um So so yeah, the topic for the next three weeks is, uh, is Chuva Tzfil stuck on the Age of, uh, of Social Media. Um, And in general, the the um, the question of how social media communications, technology, um, digital communications, um, how they've affected our life and how they've affected halacha, has been something I've been thinking about a lot uh, in the last few years Um, and hopefully the next few months. I have a book um, forthcoming from uh, from Magid Press on on the topic Um, and. You know, especially during before before the COVID lockdowns, and then especially during the COVID lockdowns, which uh, which um, accelerated much of the uh, the processes that started before. um, Our lives moved online, Um, and even for those of us, and even now that you know we're returning to to have uh, in person interactions, um, we've gotten used to so much of our lives, like now teaching, uh, being online, Um, and it shapes the way we we experience life, the way we. Um, have relationships with uh, with other people. Um, and it also affects um, halacha. It affects the the way that uh, law is expressed, which makes sense because law is a reflection of life. Um, and if life has changed um, and the way we experience life uh, has been altered radically, so then halakha, that is going to express itself in halakha. Um, and what I want to do for the next three weeks is look, uh, as Evie said, at the three mitzvot that uh, really I typify this period, chuva, repentance, um, tvila, prayer, and tzedakah, uh, charity, and see how the fact that we now live um, in such an interne- interconnected world, where so much of our communication is not in person, and we so frequently reach people who maybe we've never met um, or we haven't seen in a long time, uh, how does that shape these three, mitzvot, and today we're going to start with shuva. So I'll share the sources. Um, they're also I see here in the chat. Um, so, so I want to start with uh, with Chuva. Um, and I called it "I'm sorry." Hit send. Um, but we all know right that around Rosh Hashanah and even more around Yom Kippur, so people um go around and they apologize uh, to their friends. Uh, often they apologize to the people who um, they probably didn't wrong so much. It's much easier for us to ask forgiveness from um, our friends who maybe we slighted, um, you know, maybe one day we walk, woke up on the wrong side of the bed um, and we were a little gruff in the morning, so we say sorry for things like that. Uh, the people who we really hurt uh, and we really feel embarrassed about what we did, it's harder to apologize. Um, but whether we're talking about the apologies for small things um, or the apologies for big things, uh, this is the season when we approach our friends, and we approach maybe our enemies, um, we approach people who used to be friends, uh, and we try to mend uh, the relationships. And one of the key ways that we do that is by apologizing for past wrongs. Um, And what I want to do is analyze the nature of apologies, uh, their role in the mitzvah and obligation of tshuva, of repentance. Um, And then through the question of whether one is permitted to um, apologize in an indirect manner using a messenger or um, writing a letter um, or other ways where you minimize the face-to-face contact between the person who committed the wrong and the person who was wronged, I want to think about what, social media has done to the way we think about these things, Um, not just social media, um, really any digital communication, the same is true of texts and WhatsApps and emails, Um, and talk a little bit both about the halakha and the psychology of what it means when we choose to not apologize directly, um, but to use these media to apologize. And I'm sure that, you know, many of you know, uh, many of you have seen that in addition to, you know, calling up our friends or maybe talking to our friends in person around this time of year, um, there are many people who will post an apology on Facebook um, or they will tweet out an apology or put it on Instagram or whatever else they'll put it on um, to try to catch everybody they might've wronged. I mean, I wanna think about that phenomenon uh, as well. Okay, so that's what I wanna talk about um, today. So before we jump into the sources, what do you think the role of um, apologies are in the tshuva process, right? If I, if I just asked you um, before we get to sources, right, maybe even forget halacha, but the idea of repentance, even not necessarily a spiritual context, um, in a, not necessarily a religious context, what is the role of an apology um, in the... Well, repentance process, the rectification of the wrong process, whatever you want to call it. What does an apology do? Why is it so central um, to this?
2: To this? Okay, wait. I have
1: a chat, but I don't know if that's from before. Okay, so Ilana says it's the vidui aspect. Okay, so what does it mean? It's the vidui aspect, right? Let's. I think that's good, but let's let's push it, right? What does it mean? The vidui aspect. So vidui is the Right, Vidui is something that we do not just in interpersonal sins, right? Vidui is uh, confession, right? And we confess to God as well, right? If we have a purely ritual sin, um, we prayed without sufficient intent, we didn't pray, we ate something not kosher, we take whatever ritual sin you do. So, as we'll see, the way that what part of the process of Chuba is Vidui is that you have to articulate your sin. Now, an apology is also an articulation of sin, but the audience is different, right? It is um, It is a person now. Okay. So one way of looking at it would be to say that, look, just like when I sin against God, I need to articulate my sin. That's just part of the chuva process. Um, so when I sin against somebody else, that person is now the victim. That person is the address of the wrong that I did. So now I need to confess to them, right? This is just the same thing I do to God, I do to other people, and that's vidui. So then what's important is that I articulate it. Okay, that's definitely one way of viewing it, right? That tshuva requires not just a thinking, but a, a verbal articulation of the emotional state and the psychological commitments I go to to repent, um, and when there's another person involved, so that articulation takes place face-to-face with another person. Okay, that's definitely one way. Is that, is that what you're getting at, Ilana? Okay, good. Um, what else? Wait, what else does an apology do? So Noah says that it acknowledges responsibility, right? So it's not just, um, right, that I am articulating what I did wrong, um, but I am Right, I'm taking responsibility for it. Right, it's not just I'm saying doing wrong, but you know we have this tendency sometimes um, when we do things wrong, we'll acknowledge that someone was hurt, but um, we don't necessarily want to acknowledge responsibility. Right, we'll say something like, "I'm sorry that you felt that way," or something, something like that. Right, something horrible like that. Um, right, but if I actually apologize and I just say, "I'm sorry," right, so I'm not just Acknowledging that something bad happened, but I'm more directly saying something bad happened and I was responsible, right? Okay, good. Uh, what else?
2: Right. So, what does acknowledging
1: responsibility do? Right. So, there are different aspects. Of what does it do? Right. What's the what? Why is that important to acknowledge responsibility? Right? I know it might sound obvious, but when you actually try to articulate it, right, there are different reasons why it might be important to, artic-
2: to, to acknowledge responsibility. Okay, so let's, let, let's push it, right? When I acknowledge
1: responsibility, um, so building what Ilana said before, this could be just the next step in the process of a V-doing, right? That I'm changing myself, and part of changing myself is I need to acknowledge it, articulate it. I need to take responsibility. Um, And therefore, taking responsibility might be about me changing things. Uh, Noah adds here that it opens the possibility for recompense of any sort, right? But now, right, there's something else that does that, is especially when we're dealing with somebody else, apologizing to them, um, right, actually sets in motion uh, the possibility that it might have to do something to fix it right? So if um, I stole, right? And now I go and apologize and I haven't yet returned it, right? So before, right, maybe I was planning and returning the stolen object. But once I go and I say, listen, I'm sorry. I stole from you. Or, Okay. Maybe I didn't steal. I damaged your property. Okay. It was an accident. Maybe it wasn't an accident. Maybe I was just not careful enough. I was pulling out of the, whatever, I was pulling out of the, um, my parking spot and I tapped your car. I just wasn't careful and I scratched it. Once I acknowledge it, I've also, right? I've now put it in the open and now we can work towards fixing it, right? If there's a financial um, compensation. So now once I put it on the table that I am responsible, well, now it's more likely that it'll happen, right? So there is this aspect that it's not just acknowledging responsibility, but it's open the possibility that now I will ensure that I do something about it, right? That I fix it in a real way. I'm good, right? I think there's something else that it, that it does. Um, and I'm not sure whether Noah was including this, but when we say recompense of any sort, um, any sort is broad there. So I gave a very sort of uh, technical one, right? I owe money and now I've apologized and now it is more likely that I'll actually fix it. Um, but what else does it do, right? What other type of compensation is there? It's not really compensation that I'm thinking now, but there's also um, a possibility of emotional rectification, right? Of fixing the relationship, right? That act of apology, of of apologizing and taking responsibility isn't just important for me, right? But it also begins or allows us to begin the the possibility of repairing the relationship, right? Because now I'm putting on the table, this I did something wrong, not in general. I did something wrong to you and you were hurt by me. And now I apologize and I acknowledge I was wrong and I want to fix it. And by putting it on the table, um, I make that possible. Okay, so I wanna take all these ideas and I wanna look at the sources and then think about whether something is lost when we use um, social media or even um, any form of digital communication uh, to apologize. I mean, as we'll see, that's going to depend on what the role of an apology uh, is. Okay, so let's turn to the sources. So the Mishnah in Yoma, in the eighth parak. This is source number one. Says that tshuva al averot kalot. Repentance atone, by itself atones for minor transgressions. Alaseh v'alotasei, for positive commandments and for prohibitions. Al v'alachamurot tole ad kipurim and for the stringent sins, um, for the severe transgressions, uh, it's not sufficient to just repent. You also need the power of Yom, Yom Kippur to atone for it. And then the Mishnah tells you that there are certain people for whom tshuva is not enough or is impossible. So haomer echda echda if someone says, I will sin and repent, I will sin and repent. be be so tshuva. We do not enable him, where he's not given the possibility to repent. If he says, I'll sin and Yom Kippur will atone, E'en Yom So Yom Kippur is not enough to um, atone. And now the critical line for us is, Averot she adam lamakom, Yom HaKippurim Mechaper. Chibin adam l'chaveiro, E'en Yom HaKippurim Mechaper. Ad ratze Sins between man and God, Yom, Yom Kippur provides atonement, but interpersonal sins, Yom Kippur is not enough until you appease the other person. Okay? So, what do we have here, right? What is the relationship between um, Shuva and We can't, I don't want to fully translate it now, but appeasing the other person, right? What is the, right? What's the relationship? So if you notice in the Mishnah, um, these are two separate Mishnah, right? The first Mishnah isolates an idea called tshuva, right? There's the normal process of tshuva. And then on top of the tshuva, right? In addition to regular tshuva, there's tshuva and interpersonal sins where you need this thing called you need to appease your friend, right? So going back to what Ilana said before, Ilana said, well, maybe apologizing is part of vidui. Um, so whether that's true depends on how you read this Mishnah, right? Um, because shuvah in the first Mishnah is a standalone. And then in the second Mishnah, we say, but in interpersonal sins, you don't get um, atonement until you appease your friend. Now, we could look at that in two ways, right? We could either say that um, this is qualifying what chuva looks like, right? Normal chuva looks like in the context of interpersonal sins, right? Meaning Ilana is completely right. Just like I need vidwe in sins between man and God, I need between in interpersonal sins. But it looks different because I can't just, you know silently say to God, I need to turn to a person." So this second Mishnah is qualifying it, or this Mishnah is adding a level. I'm saying, right, in addition to the normal process of chuva, there's something else called, in Girated Javeo, the requirement to appease your friends. Okay, now what is chuva? So just to give the summary, the Rambam writes, um, in, uh, in number two. So Umahiya chuva, what is repentance? The sinner leaves his sin, the asiru machto, and he removes he removes it from his thoughts, the igmorabili boshal yasa'od and commits to never returning to the sin. And they have to regret the past, and he quotes the, the Pasuk that um, after I repented, I felt bad. I regretted it. And you have to be serious enough that God will, God Himself, will attest to the fact that you'll never return to the sin. Right. So the Ramam here outlines four uh, stages to chuva Right, abandoning sin. Right, removing it from your thoughts. Step two is to commit to not doing it in the future. The third is regretting what you did in the past. Right, so leaving the sin, committing not to do it in the future, regretting what you did in the past. And then the fourth is the verbal articulation that we call, um, that we call. Fidui. Uh, And then he notes in the next paragraph that it has to be sincere, right? That you can't jump to the fourth. You can't just um, um, confess your sins to God without meaning it, without leaving the sin, without committing to the future. If you just articulate, you confess verbally, but you don't actually commit to, to leave the sins. It's like trying to immerse in a mikvah, um, with a uh, creepy crawly creature that itself imparts tuma, imparts impurity while it's in your hand, right? So you cannot get out of the uh, impurity. So that's what tshuva is, right? The normal four stages are leaving sin, committing to not do it in the future, regretting the past, and then the articulation, right? And then as we said, okay, but in addition to that, um, when... There's another person involved, we need to apologize, therefore we need to direct this uh, articulation of sin and expression of a regret to another uh, human being. So what does that entail? So if you look at number three, the Gemara at the end of Yoma says as follows, anyone who angers his friend, even verbally, He must appease his friend or she must appease her friend. I mean, he quotes the pasuk that my son, if you've become a guarantor for your neighbor, if you struck your hands for a stranger, you're snared by the words of your mouth. So do this now, my son, and deliver yourself. Seeing you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and urge your neighbor right to so do this and be saved. Now, what if the only way to convince them to forgive you is to give them money, so then give them money, and if you don't, you don't have money, so so get other people involved to, uh, to be intermediaries, and we'll see what that means. And Umr of Chizda... Vitzarihle Faisobish Aloshro Shell Slow Adam. If um if necessary, you should apologize in front of three rows of people, um, each of three rows of three people. Shama Yasharla and Ashima Yoru Khatati, Vyashara Veti Viloshavali. Rabyosi Barchanina call Amar Rabyosi Brachanina call a vakesh don't ask forgiveness more than three times. And if the person dies, so then you have to bring 10 people, go to the grave. And you say, I sinned to God and I sinned to this particular person. Okay, so this is the source, the main source for the idea that you have to apologize to the person. Right? And as I said, the keyword there the, the keywords are right? You have to appease him. Um and that word comes up over and over again. Okay? So, that if he doesn't want to, Um and if He's dead, so you can't actually appease him, so then you need to do this symbolic uh, gesture with bringing 10 people to the grave.
2: What, why, what does
1: it mean to appease someone? And how does, um, why is an apology important to achieve said goal, right? What is the connection between those two, right? The goal here is to appease them, and we know that part of that is apologizing, but why? Right, what does an apology do? And why is it important in part of this process?
2: Okay, let's
1: see. Okay. Okay, so Ilana says, well, apologizing, the process of apologizing itself is humbling. Okay, good. And what else? Noah says that it's affirming that the person is right about what she feels, right? That it, um, right, it's, it's not just humbling to me, right? But it's part of fixing the um, the pain the other person feels because part of the, the problem when you hurt someone is that they feel not validated, right? You don't, you don't really acknowledge that what you did was wrong, that you hurt me. Okay, good.
2: So let me, let me ask the question a little bit differently. Um, what if What if I wronged someone
1: and he or she is much more magnanimous than, than I am, and they choose to forgive me before I ever approach them?
2: Um, to ask forgiveness. Okay?
1: Right? You know, some people say this every night, right? There's one of those paragraphs in many Sidurim in Priyat Shmal um, Amitah um, that some people have the custom every night before they go to sleep to say, anyone who wronged me during the day, God, forgive them, don't punish them on my behalf. Right? Many people have the custom, a very, very widespread custom, that go right before Yom Kippur there's a few paragraphs in the, in the, uh, in the machzar, tfilat zakah, um, of which part of it is that I say, listen, I forgive everyone before they ask me for forgiveness. I forgive them. If that happens, if the person that I wrong forgives me without me ever apologizing, did I lose something right? Is my Tshuva complete? Let's say I'm very happy to say to God, you know, I sinned against um avram and sarah right between to this person that person god i'm willing to acknowledge it but i don't have the i don't have the strength to go to them um and ask forgiveness but they are both magnanimous and they have said filadzaka and they have forgiven me right is that enough am i now atoned for am i cleansed am i spiritually right perfect and what does it hang on so what do you think Right. Is that enough? Right. I say to God, I'm sorry that I hurt Avram. And Avram happens to be a great person. And every night says to God, Listen, if anyone wronged me, I I forgive them. I don't want them to be held accountable. Right. Is that good? Is my chuva now complete?
2: Okay. Right. So
1: Ilana says, Well, it depends, right? Well, what exactly is the role of it? I'm going to elaborate here, right? Ilana writes, the damage to the injured party is righted, but the person still has some personal damage to rectify in himself. But let me, right, let me sharpen that. And I think those two possibilities are right. Um, And then Noah Noah says, well, you might not have Avram's trust, even if you have his forgiveness. Okay, good. So let's push this. There are at least two ways of thinking about an apology. In this way.
2: One is that really
1: the role of an apology is to elicit forgiveness. Right? And normally, in order for someone else who I wrong to forgive me, I need to say I'm sorry. But if, right? It's like a debt, right? So let's say I damage someone's car, right? Okay. That was the example we gave before. I wasn't careful. Okay. Let's, you know, let's assume I'm not a thief, but okay. We all sometimes drive not so carefully. You pull out of a parking lot, you bump into someone's car, you scratch their car. Um, and I go to them and I say, I'm really, really sorry. Obviously I'll pay for it. Whatever it costs, just let me know, right. However you want to do this, right. I'll pay for it. And the person says to me, yeah, don't worry about it. the car was the car had plenty of scratches on it. Another few scratches, big deal, right? It's over. Right. So in that case, I had a monetary debt as part of my Shuva process. And now the person waived it. So it's possible to imagine, as Ilana puts it in her first formulation here, that an apology is doing the same thing. Right? An apology is uh, acknowledging that I have, let's say an emotional debt, right? I've caused emotional damage, but if the person chooses to waive the emotional claim on me, so normally that happens through an apology, but if they decide to waive it and I'm not there, so it's done, right? It's done. Now, Noah says, well, emotionally, maybe it's not done because maybe they're not going to make a claim against me, but there's still something to do in the relationship. That's true. But if I view an apology simply as a way of getting the other person to waive their emotional claim against me, so if they waive the emotional claim without me apologizing, so in theory that's enough. But if,
2: as Ilana puts it, apologizing is not just about the other
1: person. But apologizing is about me, right? Apologizing is sort of like a vidui, right? Part of vidui, in interpersonal sins, is not just that I need to fix the emotional, that I need to repay the emotional damage, but that I need to fix myself. Well, if I fail to apologize, even if they have no claim against me, I'm still there's still something lacking in me. And Noah says, well, it's not just me that's lacking. If I don't apologize, even though Avram has no claim on me, our relationship is still damaged, right? He may not trust me even if he forgives me, right? So here we have three possibilities floating around, right? Possibility one is that the only purpose of an apology is to elicit forgiveness. to right? I owe them for, right? I owe them in some emotional debt and I need to get them to waive the debt. And if they do without me asking, that's fine. But then Ilana says, well, it could be that an apology is about transforming me and the act of apologizing is necessary to fix me. And Noah adds that, no, even if the debt, so to speak, the emotional debt is repaid between between Avram, and me, it still may be <clears throat> that the act of apologizing is necessary to fully fix the relationship, um, to get trust and not just forgiveness. And therefore it may be that I have to go through the act of apologizing to make sure that the relationship can be really be repaired even if Avram is a great guy and has, makes no claims against me, right? So three models here, right? That it's simply about getting forgiveness. And if he forgives me, then I don't need to apologize. Or even if he forgives me, I need to apologize to change me. Or um, I need to apologize to fix the relationship. Because that's part of what apologies do. Um, so before we see that this is a machloket, that this is a dispute, I want to read one more line. And that's a number four. Um, the Rushalmi puts this very succinctly. What is your responsibility for apologizing? If someone sinned against his friend, he must say, I have wronged you. If he accepts the apology, great. And if not, then you go through the whole process of bringing other
2: people in. Now, the Yerushalmi, right, is quite succinct.
1: Um, And it seems to, at least at first glance, say, right, if I sin, I must say, I sinned to you. Um, And if you take that very literally, um, right, this is clearer than the Bavli, right? The the Bavli says, I must appease the other person appeasing the other person has the ambiguity that we just talked about, right? Is it, I need to make sure that they forgive me or I need to go through the act of appeasing them. Adi Yerushalmi sounds a little bit clearer that an apology is um, part of the tshuva process rather than just the means by which I get the person to forgive me. Because it says, there seems to be this emphasis on saying, right? Articulating, to the person I sinned against you. So if we want to take our three possibilities of what the role of an apology is, and we can really boil it down to two basic possibilities with which then subdivide, right? One, as I put here, is that it's purely result-oriented right? The only reason that I apologize is to make sure that the other person forgives me. And if they forgive me without an apology, then that's fine. The second is to say that it's part of the process itself, right? Either because it's how I change myself, or it's because how I rebuild trust, I rebuild the relationship. um, And not just about making sure that the other person um, doesn't make any emotional claims on me. And this turns out to be a dispute between two commentaries on the So if you look at number five, um, the En Yaakov and the Ifeim Mare argue about this point. So um,
2: the En Yaakov says
1: as follows. Katav Baal En Yaakov. Mikan ta'ut, ma agin Im Ish Ish Bidvarim." It seems to me that it is a mistaken custom in our days that many observe that if someone sins against another and provokes him with words, an intermediary peacemaker enters between them and speaks with the offended one to mollify him and to accept the appeasement of the offender. And only then does the offender, does the sinner come and say, I have a, I have wronged you. The Ainzu Kavanat Shmuel, he says, You can't have an intermediary come even to set the groundwork. Why? Because Shmuel says, Elasha the one who wronged him has to go himself or herself. Before the one who was wrong, the lo, and say, Saracht Allah, I sinned against you, I wronged you, the kiblo, if they don't accept, so then you bring other people to try to help the situation. But he says that's very different from sending someone as an intermediary. If I first say I'm sorry, and then the person doesn't want to accept my apology. So then I bring people with me. I don't send them instead of me. I bring them with me. That you can do. But you can't send someone to be your intermediary, even if they're just setting the groundwork. You need to have that moment where, without any, anybody else setting up the situation to say, I am sorry. Says, That's what the language of Shmuel implies. Right, and he says, What's his evidence? Um, that even when it comes to the apologizing to the dead person, um, you go by yourself, right? You go, you bring other people with you, but it's clear that they're. They are as part of the process. They're not an intermediary. And the humiliation that you feel is part of the process itself. Even if I only heard him with words. So the in Jacob says, "Listen, you can't even send an intermediary to apologize for you, because the act of humiliation, the you of humbling yourself, maybe not humiliation is the wrong word. The act of humbling yourself is itself part of the process of tshuva." Now. You can read the Inyaakov in two ways. One is the way Ilana put it before, right, which is that um, if I scroll back up and I'll take your question in a second, right, Ilana said before apologizing is very humbling, right? So if you think that the act of humbling yourself through an apology is necessary, so then that's exactly what anyakov says. Now, alternatively, Right. You could, if you wanted to either read this into In Yaakov or maybe parallel and suggest Noah's model. Right. Which is that it's not just about humbling myself, but it's about um, I have to build trust. Right. By facing my, the person that I wronged. Um, now, Ilana points out correctly that this Anyakov seems to be in tension with uh, with certain Midrashim that. Uh, suggest that this is exactly what our own hakohen used to do that Aaron would make peace by um by being an intermediary um now it could be that right you could get out of it because in those midrashim um a he wasn't sent by the sinner he would do it of his own accord um, and also in those midrashim he doesn't um apologize on his behalf he would you know say things like uh you know avram feels really bad um Encouraging, basically, giving them the courage to go and ask forgiveness themselves. So, if you wanted to, you could defend the inyako from those from those but definitely you have to you have to do that. Um. Now, if you continue here, though, the the Mare pushes back. He says He says, I don't understand. Why do you have to go by yourself? If in the end of the day, the person who was wronged um, was appeased and forgave the the, the sinner, so fine, right? And even, as we said before, if someone forgives everyone without being asked, that's great. Why do you need to be embarrassed and degraded for atonement? Because since the person who was wronged forgave you anyways, it hangs on him. It depends on the victim. So here you have a very clear um, dispute, right? Where on the one hand, the Yifei Mare says the only role of an apology is to get the other person to forgive you, to waive the emotional debt that you owe to them. And if they do that through a messenger, if they do that without ever being asked just by saying to zaka or before they go to sleep, doesn't matter. However, you get to the point where Avram forgives me, as long as he forgives me, then my emotional debt to him is done. And that's it. On the other hand, the Ein Yaakov says, no, you don't understand the role of an apology is not just to get the person to say, fine, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything. But it's the process of apologizing is important either because as Ilana said before, it does something to the sinner, right? It changes something in the sinner to have to articulate that I did something wrong while facing the person I harmed. Or as Noah said before that no, it's not just that. But even if the person forgives me, the act of facing the person I hurt is necessary to rebuild the relationship um, in some way. Now, another implication is not just an intermediary, but what about apologizing through um, indirect or not face-to-face means? Right? So this is a question that the post game asked, that the halakhic authorities ask. So what about asking through a letter, right? Writing a letter. Now it's direct, but I don't have to face them. I don't have to look into their eyes, see the pain, see the hurt, see the disappointment. Um, Does that work? So here you could argue that it's similar to the previous question, right? On the one hand, if you think that that apologizing is only about getting the other person to forgive you. So listen, if I write a letter, I text them, I WhatsApp, or even I put on Facebook or on Twitter, I apologize to anyone I heard, I hope you can forgive me. And they do forgive me if it's just about achieving a result. So then, okay, fine. Even if I didn't apologize and they chose to forgive me, it would be enough. So for sure, if I wrote a letter or, um, I texted or WhatsApp or wrote a post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Um, so as long as they forgive me, that's enough. But on the other hand, if you think that the act of facing the person I hurt is important to change me, or it's important to rebuild the relationship. So then doing it in a way that saves me either the embarrassment or saves me from having to face them face to face is going to be lacking. And in fact, um, while the Brura and, and many posts, the Vadi Yosef, I gave you here in six and seven, say that, listen, in the end of the day, um, if you don't have any other way to, to do tshuva, um, except by sending a message or writing a letter, so we'll let you do it, but they recognize that the ideal form of chuva, that act of facing the person you harmed, um, is the ideal type of tshuva. So the Mishnah Brura, for example, in right in six says, The best thing, it's proper to go by yourself and not to send an intermediary. But if it's too hard or you know that the person doesn't want to talk to you and the only choice is to send an intermediary who will act between them. So, okay. And Rebbe Yosef in 7 asks both about (coughs) sending an intermediary and about sending a letter. And his summary is, again, again, In summary, Ideally, go by yourself and don't send a letter. Face them face to face. But the truth is, everything is on context. It's based on context. He said, if it's the type of person that is easy, And he'll forgive you when you go to them. So do it. But if you know, it's hard. And he doesn't want to see you. And it's going to make things worse. So then obviously send a letter, send somebody else, um, and the like. Okay. So now to take a step back, right? This is the theoretical background. Um, And as I've hinted to, or not hinted to, I've said several times, um, it's this question that we really need to think about in the context of the way we use. Um, social media and communication technology in general um, when it comes to apologies. Because again, if the only point of apologizing is to get other people to forgive you, so then, you know what, if they forgive you when you put a Facebook post or a tweet, okay, great. But if it's about changing ourselves or about rebuilding the relationship, so then there's a lot lacking in a generic, you know, tweet to the whole world, forgive me, right, Um, and the fanciest Instagram post is not going to change, is not going to change that, right, I don't have to face them, and it's possible that even a directed um, email or WhatsApp or text is also lacking, because even though it's not to the whole world, if there's something,
2: if we believe that there's something
1: That changes me or improves our relationship about facing them, then it could be that you can't replace that um, even with a directed um, WhatsApp. Now, I know there's going to be outliers, right? A long, heartfelt email, right? Sometimes is more draining and more humbling um, than, you know, an apology in, in person. Right, You can write a letter. I think if you wrote a hard letter, now, right, a, a handwritten letter nowadays and mailed it to the person, they would be so taken by the fact that you took that time. Right, It would be humbling in a different way. So we could quibble, but this is the question we have to be asking. And the person who not in halakhic context, um, though she's Jewish and does sometimes actually talk about the Jewish themes in her writing, um, but the person who's really thought about this from the psychological perspective, um, and the, the impact of, psychology, of of technology on the way we think and we build relationship uh, relationships is uh, Sherry uh, Turkel, or Turkel, I'm not sure, um, in several books that she's written. And I want to read a few quotes um, because I think she really gets at what is lacking um, when we apologize definitely on social media um, and even through email, um, WhatsApp, text, and the like. So first is a quote from her book in 2011, Alone Together. Why we expect more from technology and less from each other. So she writes, these apologies are more like confessions. Right? I think this is a very sharp point, right? This type of apology is not really an apology because an apology is to the other person. But an apology on social media is not an apology. It's a public confession. But that emotional moment of an apology is just lacking. So she writes, these apologies are more like confessions because a real apology has to deal more directly with the person you have wronged. Maria, the 33 year old financial analyst who said that the intensity of second life could be exhausting does not like it when people try to make things right by email. She thinks apologies must be made in person. When people confess on the computer, they think they have done their job and now it's up to others to respond. But I think if you have heard me, why should it be my job to come tell you that it's all right? Recall 16-year-old Audrey's derisive account of an online apology. It's cheap, it's easy. All you have to do is type, I'm sorry. Sydney, 23, a first-year law student, takes exception, saying that you're sorry as your status. That's not an apology. That's saying, I'm sorry, to Facebook. The elements of an, of an apology are meant to lay the psychological groundwork for healing. And this is what Noah said before right? That it rebuilds trust. And this means healing both the person who has been offended and for the person who has offended. First, you have to know you have offended. And this is what Alana had said before, that you have to humble yourself. You recognize it did it wrong. And you have to acknowledge the offense to the injured party. And you have to ask what you can do to make things right. Technology makes it easy to blur the lines between confession and apology. And apology easy to lose sight of what an apology is, not only because online spaces offer themselves as cheap alternatives to confronting other people, but because we may come to the challenge of an apology already feeling disconnected from other people. In that state we forget that what we do affects others. And then here I just note in brackets that Turkell further notes, this is not only true of statements made on Facebook, um, or the like that are not directed the person hurt right as I. I Right. As I noted before, technology allows even, quote unquote, direct encounter encounters to be shallower, affecting the effectiveness of apologies. She notes that many feel that it is impersonal as one does not hear the voice of the one speaking. And furthermore, by text, the tone of the voice is lost, leaving open the possibility that a seemingly sincere apology were right, that seemingly s- sincere apologies were delivered sarcastically. Um, But then picking up on her actual text, she writes, the other agrees. It's harder to say sorry than text it. And if you're the one receiving the apology, you know it's hard for the person to say sorry. But that is what helps you forgive the person. That they're saying it in person, and they actually have the guts to actually want to apologize. In essence, both young women are saying that forgiveness um, follows from the experience of empathy. You see someone is unhappy for having hurt you. You feel sure that you're standing together with them. When we live a large part of our personal lives online, these complex empathetic transactions are more, become more elusive. We get used to getting less. And then in her 2015 book, she returned to this topic. And this is where I got the title for this year. And she says, none of this happens when I, with I'm sorry hit send. At the moment of remorse, you export the feeling rather than allowing a moment of insight. You displace an inner conflict without processing it. You send the feeling off on its way. A face-to-face apology is an occasion to practice empathetic skills. If you are the penitent, you are called upon to out yourself in someone that should be put, put yourself in someone else's shoes. And if you are the person receiving the apology, you too are asked to see things from the other side so that you can move toward empathy. In a digital connection, you can sidestep all of this. So a lot is at stake when we move away from face-to-face apologies. I think both passages from Sherry Turkel, and if you have the time to read her full chapters, really both books, they're excellent, Um, right? It's so powerful, right? Everything that we set up before, right? That apologies, if it's just about getting the other person to forgive you, so fine. Do it impersonally, do it on mass, do it on Twitter, do it on email. But if it's about really feeling bad and it's about building the relationship, then for sure a mass apology on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, TikTok, I don't know, right? There's none of that. Um, It doesn't rebuild trust. It doesn't humble me, right? It allows me to not see the other person's disappointment. It allows me to not really internalize what I did wrong. It allows me to expect the other person to say, oh, it's okay, but without actually looking them in the eyes and see, and seeing, did I, was my apology the type of apology that really set the groundwork for repairing the relationship? And again, that's true even in direct communication when I don't look the person in the eye, right? It's true even on email and text and WhatsApp because it allows me to, to not have to have that uncomfortable moment where I look someone in the face and I say, I was wrong. I know that you're hurt because I know that I hurt you and see that in their in their eyes, see that in their face. And what Turkel is arguing is that that is part of, I mean, in this part, she doesn't say tshuva, but she does at some point um, talk about this and her experiences uh, growing up in a traditional Jewish home. But um, that's lacking. And around this time of year, when You know it's so easy, and you see so many people posting. I'm sorry. It's you know this is the time for apologies. Does everyone forgive me? It's so easy to forget how powerful an apology can be in person, both in changing us for because and making sure we don't we don't want to be the person who wrongs the other, and also in rebuilding that relationship, rebuilding that trust. Um, and that's lost when we hide behind technology. Um, and that's why I think it's so important to, to acknowledge the emotional component, um, its central role in the process, to think more about the process of chuva and not just the results of chuva. and specifically to think about how technology sometimes allows us to escape from the responsibility that we have to face what we did wrong, to face other people, and really try to make it right, changing us and changing the relationship. Um, so that's the main point I want to make. I have four minutes left. So I do want to just throw one thing out. Um, I do think that despite everything I just said, there is um, a value to also using um, social media and the like to post those pre kipper. I hope everyone forgives me and I forgive everyone. Um, but it's not for any of the reasons that we just talked about. It's not because Um, that's a real apology because I don't think it is. I mean, I'll say this outside because I have three minutes, but the tour and the Orzah Ruah and several other Rishonim say that there's another reason why we apologize to our friends and family and enemies before Yom Kippur. It's not just because it's the Day of Atonement and we want to have a clean slate when we go to God. Um, They point out that in Pirkei Derweilaz or Perak Memvav This is the last source on the page. Um, Pirkei Relazar says that in Yom Kippur, one of the key goals of the Jewish people is that we're like angels. And everything we do in Yom Kippur is aimed at making us angelic. So the Midrash says, well, angels don't eat, so we don't eat in Yom Kippur. Angels only have one foot, so we stand as much as we can in Yom Kippur. Angels are pure, so we dress in white. And we go to the mikvah, and we make sure we're pure. But then it ends off. Angels in heaven have peace between them. And on Yom Kippur, the Jews have peace between them. And the Orzarua argues that the reason we apologize in Arab Yom Kippur is not just because we want God to forgive us and we need to get the other person to forgive us, but because By the time we reach Yom Kippur, we want to be like angels. And to be like angels, we need there to be friendship and camaraderie and peace between us. And here's where I specifically think that social media um, has a tremendous power to set a tone, right? Because even if you actually did something wrong to someone, I would say that to apologize without looking them in the eye is lacking. There are many people who don't really wrong, but nevertheless, The fact that, you know, Erev Kipper, if you open up your Facebook, you open up your Twitter, you open up your Instagram, so many people would just be saying, you know, it's that time of year again, and I forgive everyone. I hope you forgive you and forgiveness is in the air. Um, I think as a second level, right? As part of the secondary goal of apologizing, of not just fixing the relationship I have with individuals, but creating an atmosphere of peace and forgiveness amongst the entire community, That I think specifically, social media has such a power to set the tone because what we're all gonna be seeing in the days leading up to Yom Kippur. So despite everything I said in the first 55 minutes of this year and why I would say that the best thing is to recognize the power of apologizing face-to-face in terms of transforming us and really allowing for the relationship to fix itself, I would say we still shouldn't forget that in terms of setting a tone and an atmosphere for Yom Kippur, to, to say before Yom Kippur, listen, to everyone I'm not going to talk to, just know that I'm thinking about you, and I forgive you, and I hope we have a better year, um, that does at least accomplish the second goal of Yom Kippur, which is making us angelic by having a peace, uh, peaceful community, a community where we know that everyone wants to be better, and in that sense, social media, which allows us to connect with the whole world at once, um really gives us an ability to spread that atmosphere so much more quickly and we really should take advantage of it and with that i finished on time which is a first for me so um so that's chuva in the age of social media and next week we'll do tfilah and then the third week we will do uh tz.com. And, um, I see and Lana here says, I'll just read her comment, right? It's similar to the beautiful feeling that one gets of everyone blessing each other with all kinds of good wishes. It feels like it elevates the holiday as a, communal, uh, as a communal festival, right? Exactly, right? That's a really nice way of putting it. And specifically on social media, yeah, right? We have that power to do it, not just with people in our shul, but the people we haven't seen in months or years that are across the world. Um, and that is one of the beautiful things about um, social media, about digital communication uh, in general. Um, okay, Evie, all yours.
0: Okay, uh, if you want to uh, just enter the screen so we can uh, see each oh, other, yeah, sure. okay. There thank you so much. Okay, perfect. Uh, so yeah, uh, thank you so, so, so much, Rabbi Ziering, uh, for this uh, interesting class. And thanks uh, everyone who were uh, here with us uh, on Zoom and those of us who, who uh, watched us live on Facebook. Thank you so much for being a uh, part of our learning community. Uh, just a, a few announcements uh, before we end. Uh, tonight at 8 p.m., we have a class with Rabbi uh, Silver on exploring the readings of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, uh, we, ha- we still have uh, over a dozen uh, scheduled classes for uh, Zman Elul. So um, if you would uh, like to come to additional classes, uh, you can go ahead and uh, learn more information. and Also register at elu.dresha.org. We would love to see you. Um, Also in the fall, we will be running skill building classes in biblical Hebrew, Mishnah and Talmud. Uh, You can fill out uh, a survey to express interest, Uh, it would help us uh, to let us know uh, which times would be best for you so we can plan accordingly. Um, uh, The form is also available at alul.drisha.org. And uh, yeah, just uh, thank you again, Rabbi Ziering. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing everyone at one of our upcoming classes
1: thank you everyone thank you for too. coming thank you as always evie and it was great learning with everyone okay thank you um, see you next week Lee Trout.